I hope most of you, I hope all of you listened to Nate uh, Johnson's preach last Sunday, but um, we're, we're continuing in a theme of evangelism, and the reason I reference Nate is on, if you remember when he started, he did a shout out to his mom with Dutch heritage, and so I think he's kind of started something there for us as an eldership. Uh, I think we should all be doing shout outs to our Dutch parents. Unfortunately, I don't have Dutch parents, but um, I was thinking about evangelism and, uh, and just thinking about stories in my own life and who has impacted me uh, with regards to modeling evangelism for me. And so I thought, you know, I could, we could talk about a whole bunch of people that you all know, William Carey, David Livingston, all these, all these you know, men and women that have gone on ahead of us. And, and I thought, you know, there are like a few instances in my own life that I could reference when I look at my dad and what he modeled to us. And so... Nate, thanks for this, but he has a shout out to my dad if he's watching. But uh, I, I, I saw something in my dad's life. We used to drive around. I grew up in Johannesburg, which is a big city in, in South Africa. It's our biggest city. And uh, much to my mom's chagrin, we'd be driving around in our car on a Saturday like we just picked up groceries. And I'm sure you guys have seen these people. And I'm not trying to diss a certain group, but these are the people my dad loved to talk to. They stand on the sidewalk in suits, usually two of them, two by twos, with their brochures. And, their, and my dad just could not pass Jehovah's Witnesses without challenging them. It was unreal. Like, I, you know, as a little kid, I looked up to him and I thought I'd stand with him and I'd kind of like be his, his henchman. But like, as you get into the teen years, when he's pulling over on the side of the road, like, he gets out the car and he's like, hey, I want to talk to you. You know, let's talk about John, you know, and da 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 And what does the Bible say? And, and, you know, but as much as it infuriated us that we sat for an hour and a half after doing shopping on a Saturday morning, in the car waiting for dad, there was something that I saw in his heart for the lost, right? And then, then a couple of years on, we were still in Johannesburg and he meets this random Russian guy. I don't know, I don't know where my dad went a lot of the times, but like he meets this random Russian guy, an immigrant to South Africa. Just so you know, most people are trying to emigrate from South Africa right now. But then we had immigrants to South Africa. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Dash and bash in my home. Um, so there was this Russian guy that my dad met, and he says, oh, we're going to go visit uh, Vladimir. And my mom was like, what the heck are we going to do Vladimir? He says, man, this guy, God's brought across my path. And my dad went and he bought a Russian-English Bible. And I remember him sitting at home, going through the Russian-German, uh, Russian, Russian-English Bible and looking at stuff and studying scripture and then meeting with this guy and his immediate family and this like dingy little apartment, like downtown Hillbro, dodgy area, like even then. And we would go there. He would take us all there. You know what I mean? And then we had to play with these kids that couldn't speak English. And it was like, what the heck are we doing here? But his heart was so good. You know what I mean? And then the third instance I was thinking of, we moved to Fixburg. My parents took over a church. And uh, so we started a leader church and we started a Christian school there. And the amazing thing about God is that he draws people, right? And you couldn't believe it, but there, was, there were a lot of political issues in that little town. And a lot of the um, Muslim people that were coming into the town didn't want the kids going to the public school. And so they started to send their Muslim kids to a Christian school. 
And uh, like we had a huge percentage of Muslim kids, unreal, right? They came in with their burqas and the opportunities to be able to speak to these Muslim kids, right? And the way you, we could engage them is my dad went and did his homework. There's this German guy that he met online, randomly gave him all these resources on how to evangelize Muslims. And so a lot of what I know about Islam is just secondhand from my dad. Like I just picked it up, how he would challenge them, how he would... How he would um, how would challenge them on what they believe. And um, so I share these kind of three instances with you because I, I think, I, like in preparing for this preach, I'm challenged by how, how, how lukewarm I have become in my own life for the lost when things were modeled so well for me when I was a child. Um, I'm nervous, so my mouth's drying, and Rick uh, Faganello, it's a shout out, he said, just have a little bit of water once in a while because we can all see your lips sticking together. So. Thanks, Rick. Everyone's thanking you, Rick. Um, my dad started to study Islam. He, he wasn't afraid of Muslims. We're not afraid of Jehovah's Witnesses. We're not afraid of Muslims. We're not afraid of Buddhists. We carry the truth. We're not afraid. And he modeled that to me. He's like, he used to go meet with the imam, right? Which is their pastor, priest. He used to meet with the imam on Fridays and watch these little Muslim kids that were in our school come every Friday to recite the Quran. They would learn it back to front, right? And he started to engage the imam. He started to engage the imam and learn Urdu so much that they actually pulled the imam. And I mean, I don't know, like maybe we're proud, but I think that he started to get to the imam with his heart and the truth which he was sowing into this imam. So the imam just suddenly went back to Pakistan and they got a new imam and the relationship was kind of over because this guy was a lot more. But that's just my intro. And I, and I kind of, I, I really, in preparing for this preacher, I just thought, Lord, like where am I in the least bit even coming close to what my dad modeled for me, right? And I know my dad's heart for me is to outrun him, right? And my heart for my kids is to outrun me. And our hearts for any of us should be to outrun what the previous generation have done, right? And so I share that with you because I'm convicted in my heart of how I perceive the lost and people that I come into contact with every day. And I'll tell you honestly, church, like I come home from work sometimes and I get in my car and I think, what the heck do I believe? Do I actually believe what I believe? Because when I'm in the hospital, when I'm seeing drug addicts and people that are abused, it's super draining. And I think, God, is there, is there, is there, is there any reason for that? And I tell you, I think that's why we need, and I'm going to get into that, but a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit every time. Every time I walk into that emergency room, say, Holy Spirit, just fill me. And it sounds cheesy, but it's the truth, Right. It's so the truth. We need to be so aware of that as the church. Lord, fill me today for whoever you want me to speak to because I get dry pretty quickly. Paul had such an awesome analogy. We don't even know, he said this morning, we don't even know sometimes when we're dehydrated until you have a sip, right? And the awesome thing about preaching is that we're forced to sit down and start sipping because holy mackerel, you don't want to hear me preach if the Holy Spirit's not talking to me, right? And so these weeks are the best weeks of my life because I'm sitting down and getting into the word of God. And I can feel the Holy Spirit whispering in my ear. I can hear him talking to me. I can hear him saying stuff. I can hear him pushing on my heart, right? And it's such a cool thing. And I say that to encourage you guys. It's not a go spend 30 minutes with God because if you don't, it's not, it's not that hard. It's go spend 30 minutes with God and your life will never be the same again. Every day. And I preach at you. I still don't do that every day. But I tell you when I'm doing that, getting ready for my preachers and 
I, I'm, I'm honest, like that's when I'm really in the word is when I've got to lead or preach, right? But I th- when I do that, I'm like, God, why am I not doing this every day? Why am I not ready for every day as if I'm preaching on Sunday? And I want to challenge you guys because I see what he does in me. I feel his Holy Spirit on me this morning because I spent time with him. And Moses came out of that tent and he shone, right? The people knew he had been with God. And, the, and Paul, I'm getting way off track here, but Paul says later on, he says in the, in the New Testament, he says, I'm going to show you guys that. He says, we see, with, we see with unveiled eyes. We are, we are carriers of a greater covenant. If Moses, who hadn't had Jesus and hadn't seen and didn't know what we knew, could walk out of that tent glowing, how much more for us? Hey, doesn't that excite you? I get goosebumps when I think about that. How much more for me when I walk in that hospital? Everywhere my feet shall tread, he will give to me, right? And I don't live like that all the time. You can ask the nurses that, that are in our church. It's quite embarrassing, but uh, I hope they have grace for me, right? So I, I, I wanted to look at the scriptures and the Great Commission, and I wanted to highlight four things that I see in there for us. And so my first scripture I want to turn to, my first point, sorry, the title of my preach is A Prolific People. And my first point is empowered. And I've already touched on that, but in Acts 1 verses 4 to 8, I'm going to read it to us. He says, Jesus says to them, now these are some of Jesus' last words, and we've all heard that before, but I thought about that preaching on evangelism, like what would be the most important thing that you would remember about someone is generally what they said last before they went away, right? Those would be, if I was going to say something to someone and I was going to die tomorrow, my kids would know a lot of really important things I felt, right? And this is what Jesus says to them just before he's taken up. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my, well, sorry, he says, when you, sorry, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I think I overlooked that so much in my own life as I become self-reliant. I'm thinking, okay, well, how can I engage the Muslim community that's coming from Syria now? How can I do this? How can I be better with drug addicts? How can I, how can I, how can I, how can I? And I, and I, and I honestly, sitting before God, I thought, that just drains me. Like when I think of all the musts and the ifs and the, but when I'm reliant on the Holy Spirit, and honestly, I think, I said this this morning in the prayer meeting, I don't even know, I don't even think that Peter and John walking into the temple courts went in with the anticipation of healing a, a, par, a paralytic beggar. I don't even think they set out thinking, okay, 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 we, we, we've got to do this today. Come on, come on, John. We've got to do this. Did you spend your 30 minutes with Jesus yesterday? Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, we're going to do this. No, it was, it was this ongoing flow. They walked into the temple. They saw this, this, this paralytic beggar, and he called out to them, and they said, stand up. They grabbed his hand, and they lifted him up. And I feel like God's saying that to me. It's like, I don't have to have this plan. It's good to have plans, but I don't have to have this outlined super intense thing of every day or every week, how I'm going to impact this community. I think God's so gracious with us as Christians that he provides those opportunities every day and that if we're sensitive to him, we see those opportunities. I think if we're not sensitive, we're not spending time with the Holy Spirit, they just go over our heads. And I'm so convicted of that. I was crabbing with my kids this week on the pier and an American guy engaged me. And I thought afterwards, like Marie actually joked, she said, wow, there was an opportunity to share the gospel. I was like, holy totally missed it, right? 
because I was so worried about getting the right size crab and not having Juliet's finger, you know, and like just get them back and don't step on them. And I said, Lord, I, I totally missed that opportunity. I think that was a God anointed thing, right? And so I, I really feel challenged in this is that, that, that he tells them to go wait, right? And we know the story. They wait in this upper room and they're obedient in that. And he pours out his Holy Spirit on them. We can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we get tired, burnt out, jaded. We can try. And I think there are lots of people that have gone before us that have and are no longer here or within community where they are. And I really felt God just pointing that back to me, saying like, are you, are you really, are you, are you anticipating? Are, guys, are we, spending, are we spending time with God every day? Are we listening for the Holy Spirit's voice or is this our event? I know we say that a lot, but seriously, is this our event is Sunday service an event or have you come prepared with something that the Holy Spirit's put on your heart? Because a lot of you here are super mature. You should be eating meat, not milk anymore, right? Paul references that in the New Testament. A lot of us here are mature. We should be coming with stuff. We should be advancing the kingdom. You know what I mean? I felt that he wanted to challenge us on that this morning. Like there should be this anticipation of him coming, right? On us and on our meetings and on us daily. And I think as we walk in that, we're going to see that as we take those small steps, he's not a, I don't think he's a God that throws you in the deep end and lets you flounder, takes you small steps at a time. And as we're faithful in the small things, as I just share my faith, my heart with a guy on a crab dock on a cloudy day in Nanaimo, who knows, right? That guy's on a plane sitting next to Mike on the way to Australia or something like that. And Mike has opportunity. We don't know, guys. You know what I mean? But those opportunities, look for those opportunities. Ask the Holy Spirit to highlight those things in our lives. I just want to share a story with you. I, I know I've been almost too much storytelling, but I want to share this story with you because there was a Buddhist girl in my class in South Africa and I used to sit with her. We both in the, again, she came to our Christian school because they wanted a better education. So I sat with Miyananda. She was from Burma, which is now Myanmar. And um, she was Buddhist and we used to sit and we used to engage each other. And I said, oh yes, man, Jesus is the only way. And she'd say, no, Buddha, you know, we don't mind Jesus, but Buddha. And we'd, we'd talk. I got so frustrated. I got so frustrated that week after week we'd have talks and nothing would change. And I share this with you because this was something so profound in my life. The one day, it must have been about a year, I promise you. She came to me the one morning. We'd just driven up to school. I got up the car and Miyananda came to me. She said, Darren, Darren, I got to speak to you. And she pulled me aside. She said, I had a dream last night. And she says, I, I dreamt, I can't remember the specific, but she said, I dreamt that Jesus appeared to me and he called me out of where I was. And she said, I woke up and I thought, ah, whatever, that was just a dream. And she said, I went back to sleep and she said, I had the exact same dream again. And she says, I woke up again and I thought, ah, oh, must be just, you know, because of our conversation during the day. And she says, I went to sleep and I had that dream a third time. And she says, I know that Jesus appeared to me in that dream last night. And I was blown away. I thought, Lord, I have done nothing. Like probably actually done more damage than good, right? In terms of sharing my faith. I've probably been more, as a, I've probably been more offensive than anything. And by his grace, the Holy Spirit revealed himself to her. She gave her life to Jesus. Her parents were super anti that. They were quite strict Buddhists. And she, served, and, she, and she turned her life around. She started to serve God. And as she was in our school, we discipled her. And she started to, she started to grow in her faith, right? I just, and it's not about like... 
I, I, thank you. I appreciate that. It's not about, a, it's not about any of us, right? Because I did nothing. It was just the Holy Spirit. And us being, that's the point I'm trying to make is us being faithful in what he calls us to. And that's for every one of us. Pentecost was not an isolated event for 12 holy dudes, right? There were 120 in that room and there were women amongst them. Uh, we don't know if there were children there, but the Holy Spirit came on all of them. This is not for just eldership or deacons or anything. This is for every single one of us here. All right. Um, the second thing I see out of, out, of, out of these scriptures, if we look at, um, if you can turn with me to Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. My second point, point is um, obedience. And I just want to read this scripture. It's, it's again, it's the Great Commission, right? Then the 11 disciples, sorry, it's from verse 18. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the earth. And out of that, I see... I see that we're called to make disciples, right? And there's an obedience in that, right? We know, we, we know we're called to that as the people of God. We're not called to only make converts. I don't believe that's God's plan at all. Those things are good. And we, we talk about that a lot, like these big crusades. And even when, we go to, even when we go to Mexico on our medical mission, the idea there is to see people get saved and then plugged into local church. It's not about throwing a huge blanket. Wonderful, I see that hand. And then we're off. He's called us to make disciples, which takes more time, energy, finances. We rub each other up the wrong way. Some people you don't want to disciple. I mean, ask Mike how he felt about Paul. I'm pretty sure there was a tough discipleship road right there. I'm just kidding. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Is we're not called to just make, I think that's, a, I see that. There was an obedience in spending time with people. The Bible says they, were in, they had a unity of spirit. They spent time together every day breaking bread, right? For, the, for, the, for this common good of the church. And that just screams discipleship and walking through things in life with each other to me. We have got to get back to that, right? We are doing that, but we need to get back to that in a way that when new people come in, they get saved. They are so plugged in like an amoeba. You know what you remember from biology what an amoeba does? It just kind of engulfs whatever it comes in its path. That's what we should be as the church of God, right? We just engulf the unsaved, right? And they come along with us as we move. I love that analogy. Some of you are a little bit grossed out, but um, the other thing there, it's just, a, I just want to do a quick blip on this is water baptism, right? He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them. And I know for a lot of us that's settled in our hearts. We've been baptized, but I think there are people here that haven't been baptized or maybe don't know how to explain water baptism to other people. And in looking at this again, the awesome thing is I think the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a sanctification process. It means we are being set apart. When the Holy Spirit comes on us, it means we are set apart now to do good deeds for God, right? To bring glory to his name. Baptism in water is a picture of repentance. And it is something that we need to do, we have to do as Christians. There was no ifs, ands, maybes, or buts. They got saved and they went straight down to the river and they got baptized in water the same day. And that's something that I think we need to understand as Christians, be able to explain to new converts, right? It's not like wait four or five years, wait till the water's warm when you feel like it's 
all ready to go and you can come and get baptized. That's something that we need to be, that's something we need to do. And if you haven't been baptized in water yet, come and speak to us. You need to get baptized in water. It's a public declaration of you laying down the kingdom and you to Jesus, right? Does it make sense? The kingdom of God is where his rule and authority reigns, right? And you being baptized in front of everybody says the rule and authority of God Almighty now is here. And so when you go somewhere, you're taking the kingdom of God with you. The rule and the reign. I am subject. I have a different master. Darren was on the throne of this life up until four years old, I think. And by God's grace, at around that age, Jesus took preeminence of my life. And so now I don't go where I want to go. Now I don't do what I want to do because he's established his rule and his authority in my heart. And that's what we're looking to do with people when we see them get saved is Jesus' kingship is established. And baptism is the first picture. Baptism in water is the first picture of that is we're laying down the old man where I was in charge and up comes a new Darren where his rule, his authority reign on me. Is that good? I just want to say there's no age restrictions on that either. Like I think, like I think we need to be chatting that through with our kids from whenever they've got a concept of when they understand who Jesus is. If they've committed their lives to Jesus, your kids should be baptized. We have two that aren't <laughs> yet. But uh, when, they, when, they have a, when they know that Jesus, when they've accepted him as their savior, we should be baptizing our kids. And that's a challenge to us as parents. We should do that, guys. En masse, we baptize all of them. My girls are petrified of being held under the water. I don't know why. I've never done that. So, um, um, the third thing I see is that identity ingrained And I'm not going to read it to us, but if you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 to 18. Again, in preparing for this morning, I felt God just say that to me, is that when, when my identity is questioned, when I doubt who I am in him, the devil just hamstrings everything that God's got for me. And I, I, I thought back, if you look at, you don't have to go there, but if you take notes again, Luke 4 and Matthew 4, it's so interesting. This is just before Jesus started his ministry, right? You know what happens? He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. He's baptized in water, gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness, right? And he's in the wilderness for 40 days. And what happens at the end of the 40 days? The devil comes to tempt him. And what is it that the devil says to him on two of the three temptations? He says, if... If you are the son of God, not you are the son of God, so do this. He says, if the devil throws doubt on Jesus's identity. And I thought God said that to me, the devil wants to throw doubt on my identity. He wants to throw doubt on your identity. And and I'm honest with you guys, I struggle with that in my workplace all the time. It's like I work with majority unsaved people and I come away sometimes thinking, what do I believe? What is my identity? Like sometimes I think I'm a, a goofball compared to these other super intelligent people. And, 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 and I feel, I think God is saying to me, that is the devil questioning my identity. And for you, I think there's, for all of us, the devil wants to question your identity. If he could hamstring Jesus in terms of who he was in his relationship with the Father, his ministry would have fallen flat. And that's why he comes at him just before his ministry starts. And so at any time in our ministries and our walks with God, he's going to come with doubt. He's going to He's going to make you question your identity. What are you called to? Are you ready? This is a joke. Why'd you move to Nanaimo? It was way better in South Africa. Like, why? Where, where are you going? Like, Hannah, why are you going down to Bethel? Like, what, what the heck's up with that? Like, this is where you can come from. Your parents are here. He's going to come and he's going to question your identity and your calling. Because once he got that right, then we don't know who we are in Jesus anymore. And that's where our power source is, right? 
I want to, so the 2 Corinthians part, 3 verses 4 to 18, these are some of the things that, that Paul's saying to this church is their identity. He says, you are ministers of a new covenant. And I touched on that earlier. We are ministers of a greater covenant than majority of the miracles, miraculous things that we see in the Old Testament. We are ministers of a greater covenant than that. Like I marvel, the Red Sea parting, being fed in the desert. Well, you are a minister of a covenant that is greater than that which Moses, Joshua, Caleb, all those guys had. Do we live like that? Do I walk like that? Do I walk like that? And I'm not talking about a, a, a human pride. You should walk with your shoulders held, your head held high and your shoulders back. We are not apologetic. Our identity is in Jesus. He has, he has captured my heart for the advancement of the kingdom. I am a minister of a new covenant. I am bold because of Jesus. And I'm not trying to rah-rah you today. I'm trying to just... I'm just trying to remind us of what most of us already know. And if you've never heard this, go have a look at Corinthians. Look at the promises that God's got for us. We are life bringers, that scripture says. We are life bringers. People that don't have Jesus are dead. They Spiritually, they are dead. They're going to an eternity without him. I don't look at people like that. I'm sorry to say, I don't look at people like that. When you walk by a person and, and don't engage in them, when you miss opportunities that God's putting in your place, people are going to hell. They're going to an eternity without Jesus. We are life bringers. We are bringers of righteousness. That doesn't mean that we've got all our stuff sorted out, but there is a righteousness that is indwelt in us because of what he's done for us. Right? There's a righteousness in me. There is a, a repugnance for sin. When things come across my path, it should make me get sick a little bit. Right? When there's temptations that come across my path, that should be like stinky stuff to me that I don't want to get involved in because I am righteous. I have an imputed righteousness because of what Jesus did to me, did for me. We have unveiled minds. I touched on that too. We see things that they couldn't, that they were hoping for. The Bible says the prophets of old stood on their tiptoes hoping that they could see what we can see. We have freedom. Guys, we have freedom. We come in. I was just thinking this morning, I, I'm so excited because the Rugby World Cup's coming up in September and I'm so convicted of that too because I tell you, if South Africa wins that Rugby World Cup, I will not be standing still. Like I will be, Johan, do I have an amen? <laughs> it's a big if, it's a big if. But like, what excites us? I have freedom in this place. Like you can't, hold, you shouldn't be able to hold me down. That's what David, I think that's what was in David's heart when he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. He said, I just, I can't be constrained. He took off his outer garments and his wife scorned him, but his heart before God was so pure. He says, I have freedom because the presence of God is coming back to my city. I have freedom because the presence of God dwells within me. And I'm not going to let, like we used to sing a song, I don't know why you remember, but um, I want to dance so wild for you, want to dance so, J- JD used to, all these cool songs, burning me again, and I can't, sit, I can't sit still in worship, and I found that's happening to me as I'm getting older, I'm still young, but as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm embarrassed, I'm scared to dance in front of you guys, why? I'm not afraid of any of you, there's a freedom, I'm not trying to put on a show, you don't want to see me in my underpants like David was. There's a freedom in me. It's not a big show. I love it. It was Mew that was here with the flags, hey, this morning. Mew, that was awesome. That is just, that is just, her, that is just her expressing what God's done in her heart. That's awesome. And for all of us, right, like whether you want to tap your foot faster than you've ever tapped it or jump up and down, that's the freedom. We have freedom in this place, guys. We are reflectors of Christ. 
And we're being transformed to his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. Doesn't that get you excited? I read this. I was like, my goodness, how can I not walk around my shoulders held back? Like, not, not a, you hear my heart, right? Not with a pride. We're not a prideful people because we are nothing without him. But there has to be a manifestation of our confidence in our God when we, ca- when we walk. Otherwise, who wants to be with us? Who wants to be like us? What are we attracting people to if we're no better than the world? Like, I don't want to be with these guys. They're the mopiest, like, saddest people, you know, that are bound by things. That's not what he's got for us. Galatians 1.5 says, Paul says, I am set apart. And this is my next challenge. Like, I felt, God, I'm set apart. Do people in my, that I come into contact with know that I'm set apart? Do, am I salty? Spiritually, am I salty? Do they know that there's something different about me? Or am I kind of, if you came to my home or you met me on the street or you're in the emergency room, would I be like just any other Joe? Because then I'm missing it, right? People should know there's something different about me just by encountering. I don't have to preach the gospel and have them fall on their faces at me, but they should see by my heart when they're engaged with me that there's something different. We are set apart and we need to realize that as a church. We are set apart for something so great and so significant that nothing the world can offer us will, will ever compete with that, right? And I, I go through times where I, I don't live like that, but I want to get to a place where I'm living like that even when I don't feel like that, right? Where that's a reality, that I'm set apart. I'm set apart. I'm special. The Jews know there's something special about them. I grew up with a Jewish community in Johannesburg. They know there's something special about them. Have you ever, I know not a lot of Jewish people in, in, in Canada, but Jewish people carry themselves in a way. They know, and I think that's get, got them into trouble a lot, but it's a prideful thing, right? I don't think it's a God thing, but they know they're, they're God's called people, right? Christians should live like that way beyond what Jews do because we have a new covenant. We have a greater covenant. We have the Messiah. We have the truth, right? Do we live like that? I only know one Jew in this town and he won't be, well, former Jew, and he won't be offended by me saying that. I love Jewish people. Galatians 3 verses 26 to 29. We are heirs with Christ through faith in him. We are heirs with Christ. He says, greater things will you do. He says to the disciples, greater things will you do because my spirit, the spirit is coming on you guys. My fourth point is, in, I think kind of in reaction to this, what I, what I see in Scripture is in pursuit. And Acts verses 1 to 11, the, the disciples, I find it quite funny when I was reading it, I thought it stood out to me. I think they were kind of standing on this hill. Jesus had just been taken up to heaven and the whole bunch of them were just standing there like, like this for a time. Because the Bible says that, 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 uh, that two kind of angels were sent to them and said, men of Galilee, what the heck are you doing? Like he's told you to get back and get on, get on the move, right? And I feel God saying to me and that is, I could stand you gawking at what he's done. And I loved what Paul said this morning is, I can look back at what he's done. And I can stand there gawking at, oh, wow, that was wonderful. And he's saying, hey, hey, men of Nanaimo, men and women of Nanaimo, he says, what are you doing here? Get back, get on, get on mission with what he's tasked you with. And, and there are, he went, I, I, don't know, I don't know why it is. Like I, I prayed that in prayer meeting this morning. I don't know why God chooses to partner with us. Like, I think it's crazy, actually. Like, he could totally do it without us. He, he, could have, he could have appeared to my friend, me and Nanda, without me doing zip. He could have, and he does that in the Middle East, right? There are reports of Muslim imams getting saved because Jesus comes to them in dreams. He can do it without us, but he chooses to partner with us. What a privilege. He chooses to partner with us. It's not this burn of war. No, I go, to, I go to witness to people. It's like, I get to partner with Jesus in his redemption plan for this planet, right? There are, I don't want to get into them, but there are three kind of stories I wanted to highlight in the New Testament for Jerusalem, uh, 
Samaria and other parts of the world. The one is, I referenced that already, kind of Peter and John walking in Jerusalem. They go into the temple courts. They see a, a, a lame beggar and, and, he's, and he's raised, he's raised and, he's, and he's strength. People marvel, right? And, and the gospel goes forth and thousands get saved. And then Philip, who was a deacon, but the Bible tells us has the, um, has the power of the Holy Spirit on his life. He goes to Samaria. And you know, like I know we've shared on that before. Samaria was the detestable place. They were like the, they were the, the, the Jews hated them, right? We know all of that with Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman. He goes to Samaria. He goes to Samaria and he starts to preach the gospel and there's revival there. There's a church established. People get saved. They get plugged into local church and they start to function in what God's got for them. And then the same guy, Philip, you, I don't know if you guys know the story, but with um, the, the Bible says, I just want to read it here, it says, um, the Lord just kind of tells him through a messenger to head south on some random road, and Philip does it. And that was my point, is I think, like, if we're not even listening to God, how do we know when we're being called to go south on a random road? He says, let's go south on this random road. Philip says, sure, Lord, I know your voice, Holy Spirit, you're leading me this way. He walks south on this road and he comes across, across an Ethiopian eunuch and that guy gets radically saved, baptized and we know there are remnants. There is a church in northeastern Africa that was established based on that, right? Based on that, this Ethiopian eunuch goes back. He's starting to understand scripture better. He understands Isaiah and the promises that Jesus is the Messiah. He goes back and people are changed, right? Just because Philip, to, and then God just whoops him away. Boom, he's gone. The Spirit of God, the Bible tells us, carries him away. He has a quick interaction, speaks truth. The guy gets saved, baptized in water, and he goes, boom. Man, and I don't even know that Philip knew. Philip didn't even know what the follow-on effect of that would be, right? Hundreds of thousands of people impacted as a result of that one. And those people, that inheritance is going to be attributed, is attributed to Philip now, right? Because of his faithfulness. Man, who doesn't want that, right? Next time you're on an airplane, Hopefully for the guy's sake, he's not a eunuch, but, but you know what I'm saying. So in conclusion, I just want to go, back, I want to go to Mark 16, verse 15 here quickly. What should we be seeing? I think, I think practically, I just want to touch on these things. When, we, when, we, when God grips our hearts for this, when God grips our hearts for the lost in evangelism, what are the knock-on effects? What do we see in the early church? What should we be seeing in our midst, right? He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Jesus declared war on the kingdom of darkness and the devil. They knew their days were numbered. He would walk into a room and demons would manifest. Do you believe you have the same power that you're carrying? Because the Bible tells us we do. I think about that because I see people that I think do, do have a, are in bondage. I, I believe I'm seeing people on a daily basis where I work that are coming in in bondage to the devil. I believe they are demons on those, on those people. And we can, get so, we can get so lukewarm and ambivalent about that. But I tell you, I want to see the day when I walk into a room to speak to someone who is bound by the kingdom of darkness and the demons start to flee. 
And Jesus did that. And we should have, we should be excited. We should be, we should be anticipating that. We should be asking him, God, today when I walk into that psychiatric unit and I know there are people in bondage here, I want to see demons flee. Not because of me, because of who's in me. That they see Jesus in me like, whoa, we got to get out. When we worship here on a Sunday, would that freak us out? There should be people that are manifesting in our midst. Demons should be fleeing in our midst. It doesn't freak us out because we've won. Our God has won for us. We're on the winning side. Demons should flee. We, we should be declaring war against Satan by the power, always by the power of what Jesus has done, right? He demonstrated, Jesus demonstrated his authority and victory at every level and he promises that we will do even greater when he sends the spirit to us, which he had. Areas that he demonstrated this was over sin and temptation. Matthew 4 verses 1 to 11, right? And that's for us too, I think. When sin and temptation rises in my own life by the power of the spirit that dwells in me, that that becomes repugnant, that I flee from it, that it has no hold on me because the devil cannot have hold on Christians too, Right? He can hold us back in things if we're letting him, if we're letting him camp in, uh, in, 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 in where, where God should be, right? So I, 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 I feel that for me too, that sin and temptation in my own life and in the lives of people that I'm reaching, all right? If I haven't established God's rule and reign in my own heart, how the heck can I hope for that for anybody else? Over sickness, he establishes his authority and, and reign. Luke, 40, Luke 4, verses 38 to 43 over demons, Luke 4, verses 31 to 37. Over nature, storms, food, walking on water. Over religious spirits and religious leaders, Luke 6, verses 1 to 11. And I'm just thinking while I'm preaching now even, over nature, over sickness, right? Sickness is a natural thing. We, we, we are all on a process of, we're heading towards being, being compost eventually, right? That's a natural thing. Jesus established rule and reign over that. He calls Lazarus back from the dead. He, he, he healed people, right? We should be seeing that. And over every circumstance, Hebrews 4 verses 15, the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted at every point. He is a better high priest because he knows exactly what you're going through. He has been tempted in every single way and yet he didn't sin. And so he establishes his rule and his reign over every circumstance. And we have the ability to do that too when we're walking in in, uh, in, in union with him. Does that excite you guys? I, I hope so. It's not a, it's not a heavy, because I promise you, I'm not walking in that. Nobody's, nobody's manifested. I haven't seen a, well, uh, yeah. Nobody's manifested in front of me in years, right? Not since I've been in North America, right? Or in our meetings. But I yearn for that. Because the other thing that I see, you see all the way through scripture is the people were amazed and they had favor with the people. Why? Not because they were just preaching, but because their words were accompanied with a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul shared. How can we expect to change a world? Otherwise, we're just kidding ourselves, right? It's, it's like, I, want to, I was going to say something inappropriate, but I don't know. It's like, um, it's like blowing against a gale or I don't know. There's a better, there's a ruder analogy that you would, but anyway. Swimming upstream. It's like swimming upstream, right? We can't expect to reach Nanaimo unless these things are, are touching our hearts, right? Like dream. Like I thought, I thought to myself, I get discouraged. for Even for NCS, areas where I'm involved, Nanaimo Christian School, uh, Oceanside Church, my workplace. I want to see us, for Nanaimo Christian School, I get discouraged. I think, Lord God, we need whatever, how many million for our next phase. And where's the money going to come from? And dream it. Pray for it. Look, God could, God could drop a donor tomorrow and we've got whatever, $8 million. We can build it. 
You know what I mean? For this church, oh Lord, I'm so discouraged, you know, dream it, call it out. Say, Holy Spirit, I'm trusting you for this because when we're asking for it, then we, when we see it, we're aware of it, right? If we're just kind of ambling along and I, I really feel for us this morning is that there's, a, there's an urgency in the spirit for us as a congregation, right? Not a scary thing. There's an urgency. We're not afraid, but there's an urgency in us to mature, to push into these things, to hear the Holy Spirit. Guys, I am convicted before all of you as a leader in this church in terms of how much I even spend time with God. And I would challenge you on that too. How much time are you spending with God? We cannot expect God to do things in our midst if we're not spending time with him, reading the word, being intentional with people, seeing people the way he does. It's not a heavy, it's really, it isn't. Because I'm not, I'm not walking where God wants me yet either. I'm in a, in a process and so are you, but come along with me, right? Doesn't Paul say that? Come with me as we kind of journey on together. God changes our hearts. So I hope that came across in a, in a loving and an urgent, but there's an urgency for us. There's an urgency for the city. There's doom and gloom and people that are lost all around us, right? And we cannot sit here and enjoy each other's company and uh, come once in a while and just, you know, la-di-da, there's an urgency in us. And I don't want to miss out on my inheritance. I said that before and I don't want that to become a thing I harp on all the time. I don't want to miss out on my inheritance. And I hope the same for you. God has a plan for me and we're going to see one day when we get to heaven whether we reached it or not. And I don't want to be disappointed before the King of Kings one day when he says, Darren, there would have been revival in the Nymer if you had stepped out in the, on the water in that instance. I'm like, nah, you know, I'm going to go home and sleep or nah, I'm just too, I just, I, I just don't have the, I want to ask you guys, where are those areas? Because you know, I bet you, a lot of you, the Holy Spirit's fluttering in your heart right now. And he's saying, these are the areas that you need to make adjustments if you want to see the kingdom of God come where you put your feet. Thank you very much, everybody.